Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and I'm the host today and we've got the band back together. I think it's the first time I've been on the podcast for a little while with Samuel Lockhurst and Tyrone Marshall, my two favourite colleagues of course. Samuel, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, Stephen. We will get you in in the office one day. The three of us in the office, I should say, uh, for, for a podcast one day. Hopefully sooner rather than later anyway. Me and you were in, was it the week before last? Um, it was last when, week, yeah when, yeah. when Mason Greenwood broke, but I mean, time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? I can't even remember when we're actually in. Uh, yeah, Tyrone, how are you? Yes, good. Thank you, Stephen. Good. Looking forward to the closure of the transfer window tomorrow. That will be uh, a nice experience when we can finally put all this behind us. Very much so. It's been a very busy summer. Um, and the transfer deadline is obviously tomorrow. We're recording on a Thursday afternoon around 1pm for the reason that if we did record the podcast in the usual slot on Friday, we'd probably sound a bit silly because it would might go a bit outdated very quickly. So we're recording ahead of Friday um, and there's plenty to discuss, obviously. Uh, plenty of uh, transfer talk and we're going to look ahead to Arsenal, a big game at the Emirates on Sunday afternoon in the Premier League. Um, but Samuel, we'll jump in to the transfer business to begin with. That's at the top of the agenda. And the big story this week is Sofian Amrabat. He's been linked to the club all summer. Now, finally, with around 48 hours to go, there's been some movement, hasn't there? So could you update one on that deal and, and kind of expand on what's going on there? The, the lightness of it tells its own story in that United have been sceptical they've been unconvinced by Amrabat well figures at United have been throughout the summer and I think while we were on tour we 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 did a a story on how they were open to signing him if they could get rid of a midfielder at that point Cobby Mayne who hadn't even got injured then West Ham's interest in Scott McTominay emerged then Cobby Mayne did get injured and the chance of McTominay going went from a straight line up to going back down again uh, because United don't want to leave themselves short. This month, we're still talking in August, has been very, very slow from United with, with incomings out and outgoings. There hasn't been a single incoming. I don't think many of us were anticipating big business happening in the first um, two-thirds of the month. It turns out it's probably going to be or possibly be no business uh, for the whole month apart from a goalkeeper coming in. And... I suppose it's it's the case of when push comes to shove, they just they've decided to to push for Amrabat. But you only have to look at the figures coming out of Italy about the loan fee that was that was being offered. And uh, I mean, if 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 you're a Fiorentina official, you must have laughed at it. It was something like what was it eight hundred grand uh, paid in into. Two two instalments of eight hundred thousand euros or something like that, and and the possibility of of ending the loan in in January, that that tells you that United are not completely sold on on Sofiane Amrabat. I think it's safe to say that Eric Ten Hag is because Amrabat was born in the Netherlands. He played in the Eredivisie and he played under Ten Hag in the Eredivisie as well. So he he, he takes a. Yeah, there on the, on the bingo checklist. I think he he ticks three out of the five blocks. He, he just has never played for Ajax or played for uh, Ten Hag at Ajax. And having spoken to people on the tour and spoken to people at the club about Amrabat, it's it's clear that you know what what we were being told. It wasn't wasn't false. There there were people in the senior positions who just just don't think he's necessarily worth United's time and effort. And 
given how belated this approach is, this concrete approach is for him, that tallies with that. I mean, United can't be consistent on it, which, again, it it, it just leads you... It, it, from the outside, everyone is looking at it, whether it's a journalist or a supporter, they're looking at United at the moment, they, they sense muddled thinking going on, and there is muddled thinking going on. Last week, not even a week ago, it, the suggestion was that Amrabat, if he did leave Fiorentina, it would not be for United. Amongst ourselves, those of us who cover the club, we agreed that that was probably United downplaying expectations as they could over-deliver if Amrabat did come in. But the fact of the matter is, having spoken to relevant people at United, that they are not entirely sold on him. And it's a strange dichotomy because up until this point, they have probably blindly backed Ten Hag in the transfer market with his targets. And that hit rate over the last month or so has started to look a little bit iffy. Not, not. I'm not going off Casemiro Martinez's performances because I think you can have little blips and they've they've had slow starts the season. But Mount was a dubious signing. Malassia was a dubious signing. He's he came back for pre-season injured. Anthony certainly was. Um, the low knees, hardly any of them. I mean, none of them were an outright success. Sabitzer was decent. Veghorst certainly wasn't. Anano, I think everybody would agree that's been a good deal. So has Christian Eriksen. Hoyland, I'm sure we'll get onto that later on. It's just a really, really weird situation. Uh, and it's it's becoming, with every week, there's a little bit more unfairness piled onto the poor, the poor lad's shoulders. And so they're not necessarily... Ten Hag's hit rate at this current time, it's not a compelling case for United to say, yeah, we will back you with, with another signing. And let's face it, they have spent £406 million under Ten Hag as well so far. And I know a lot of United fans will point fingers at the Glazers, and I get that to an extent because there are other clubs who are spending more money and, and Chelsea are probably going to break the, the billion pound mark for fees spent in, in just one year, which is obscene, frankly. Um, a lot of the fees in football these days are obscene and there's something... There was something particularly mad about Chelsea signing Cole Palmer for £45 million from, from Manchester City. I, I would imagine that uh, UEFA and, and the Premier League would, would want to have quite a close look at, at the books when uh, the contracts are exchanged between those two clubs. But with Amrabat, you can't keep on continuing, whether he comes in or not, you can't keep on continuing to sign players just for the manager. And that is what United are doing. And it's worked to an extent, but... It's it's not been a complete success at the moment. You probably look at it and say it's maybe sixty forty, and United have to be mindful of how things how quickly things can spiral as well. Because if there's a club where it will suddenly spiral, it's Man United. Recent history tells you that with um, mid season managerial changes, it happened in twenty eighteen. It happened in 2021 as well. Again, I'm not suggesting for a second that Ten Hag is in any remote danger. He isn't. But I just think it's a pretty blind strategy in the transfer market where you're just signing players because the manager knows this player from Holland. He managed this player in Holland. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's too, it's just too predictable. And even with Hoyland, he, he doesn't tick any of the bingo checklists, but he is represented by a rather eccentric Dutch agent, Kees Voss, who also represents Ten Hag. So even there, there's some kind of affiliation uh, with this this Dutch criteria that Ten Hag seems to insist on. And I could see it from Ten Hag's perspective. He's looking at Scott McTominay. He's neither here nor there. He's not an attacking midfielder. He's not a defensive midfielder. He wants an outright defensive midfielder. And he's pushing for Amrabat because he's familiar to him. He, he's playing for a, a, a club of reasonable repute in Fiorentina. He was very good at the World Cup for Morocco. But I, I remember during the World Cup, I spoke to someone at United. Um, I think it was the night before. It was sorry, it was the morning after Morocco had knocked out Spain, and they they were providing a very rational breakdown of why the, the performances of the Morocco players were misleading because players gee themselves up for a World Cup. They reinforce their focus. There's worldwide exposure. There's the possibility of getting a transfer as well, and people's opinions can hinge on how a player performs at a World Cup because that's when they're going to watch them consistently. And now here Man United are in the process of possibly signing a Morocco international who who could be a worthy signing. But again, the way they've gone about it is extremely flawed. 
There's a running joke, isn't it, that Ten Hag's only sang in players that he's worked with before. And if you see a name suggested, if you just do a quick Google search, and there's often a photo of them. And there's, of course, a photo of Amrabat uh, alongside a young-looking <laughs> Ten Hag uh, at during their time in the Netherlands. And I think Amrabat had hair then, actually. Ten Hag didn't mind, I must add. Unfortunately for, unfortunately for Ten Hag, he didn't, yeah. Um, Tyrone, anyways, you, you have hair. And Mark Cucurella has a lot of hair. He's got even more hair, he does, doesn't he? more than yeah, me. Yeah. He does, he does. And he's not a player who's worked with Ten Hag before. He certainly was. Uh, Ty, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. When I first saw the interest in Cucurella, I thought to myself, hmm, I probably turned my nose up a little bit. But when I when I thought about it a bit more, I thought, do you know what? This would be a really good addition. I mean, it was only just last year that he was saying for £60 million. He was the joint most expensive fullback in the Premier League. I'm not saying he's going to be outstanding. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Luke Shaw. But considering the circumstances, Malassia's injured, Shaw's injured. Um, he, he, he can provide cover, can't he? He's definitely capable of that because he was really good for Brighton under Graham Potter. And obviously he struggled last season, but he certainly wasn't the only player in that Chelsea dressing room guilty of that. So where we're standing on this deal at the moment, uh, heading into deadline day? Uh, I, I mean, I think if they get it done and, and the expectations are that they will get it done, it was what they're on Thursday and Tuesday. They they approached Chelsea with an offer and, and have been talking since then. And I think there's you know, there's more and more transfers and loans happening between big six clubs part, on the transfer front, partly because no one else can actually afford their players. But, you know, I think clubs are being realistic about it as well. And Cucurella is Chelsea's third choice left back, really. Ian Matson's got on ahead of him in, in two games this season. He was on loan at Burnley last year. So... There is, you know, you've got a player there on significant wages. He's not getting a kick, so it makes sense for Chelsea to let him go. For United, I think he's the best they could have got in terms of a left back as cover. Um, Premier League experience, had a really good season at Brighton. He was pretty disastrous at Chelsea last year. Like you say, he wasn't alone in that. Um, Sterling has has recovered and has started the season pretty well. He had a poor season, but you know, Cucurella. The fans turned on Cucurella very, very quickly and. He does have a bit of a point to prove. He was very good at Brighton. My 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 concern always with with a team like Brighton who do so well and play such a unique system, and then suddenly sell players on is that you see this happen quite a lot with clubs like that, where suddenly the players move on and they don't have that same system. They're playing a different style with different instructions, and it just doesn't suit them as much. And you wonder if that's the case with Cucurella. Um, you know, Moises Caicedo, I think, is going to be a real litmus test for that. Is Moises Caicedo a world-class £115 million midfielder? Or is he a very good midfielder who who is perfect for Brighton's system? We're probably going to find out. But, you know, Cucurella's a good left-back. City wanted him last year, just wouldn't pay what, what Chelsea would. Um, so there's, there's clearly a good player there. And in the final week of a transfer window, when they're desperate for a loney left-back, He's probably as as good as you're going to get. Sergio Regulian was mentioned. I mean, he, I think he's he's not looked good at Tottenham. He can't defend. Um, at least you know Cucurella is actually a left back who who can defend. He's played left centre back at times in in a back three. So yeah, I think I think he'd be a decent addition in in terms of in terms of loans. Um, it's clearly not one that's that I can't but I can't see a scenario where it's made permanent. Um, but for United. That that is probably the the best option that they could have got, and telling that he's he's gone for Cucurella rather than Nicholas Tagliafico, veering away from the bingo card. There, I think when um, when Shaw got injured, a few of us were joking, "Who was Ajax's left back under Ten Hag?" And I actually thought Tagliafico had gone back to Ajax because they did they did try and they only sold him last summer, and they tried to sign him back a few weeks ago, but for some reason it hasn't gone off, so he is still at Leon, but. Yeah, it looks like Ten Hag's going to resist the chance to to link up with a familiar name. I mean, I don't think a loan would necessarily have been possible there because he's been playing for Leon this season. So, um, so yeah, I think Cucurella is the one that that ticks the most boxes in in terms of uh, an emergency left back signing. Funnily enough, Tagliafico was standing on the pitch talking to Martinez, Anthony Ten Hag, um, before the Leon friendly at Murrayfield. Edinburgh, that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking, watch by the end of the window, I bet the links for them, and here we go, there you go, straight away. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what's what's interesting about Kirk Corella is uh, he could play 
really as an inverted fullback. He was really good doing that for Brighton, and I think that's where he was seeing the best effect. And I know Ten Hag likes his fullbacks to come inside now, and we've saw that from Wambasaka and from Shaw as well on the other side. So it'll be interesting to see if he could come into midfield and kind of help up, help build up player, anyways, because I think that's one of his strengths, anyways. Um, Samuel, before we moved on to the goalkeeper situation, just to wrap up this part, um, if Amrabat and Kukurella do get do are, are signed and those deals do get pulled across the line where does that leave the squad in terms of depth in terms of quality um and how does that affect the season the the squad depth would be better than it was at the start of the summer because you have got i mean cucurella in, in terms of ability and his his performance level in, in the premier league overall despite an aberration last year it's it's but he is a better left back than the Malassia on his day whether he would be for United over the course of, of of this season should he sign that that remains to be seen Amrabat would balance out the midfield it would give them more options there it would certainly add a bit of much needed steel and, and expertise there I think the last five Premier League games or the last five domestic games that McTominay has started they have all been when Casemiro has been suspended which is telling I mean that that is a pretty big uh, if, if McTominay didn't know it that is a pretty big hint that the manager doesn't really fancy you or, or your numbers up and it seemed like on the tour that the beginning of the end had started for McTominay and it's just a case of at what point the end comes but as an overall squad it's still it's still not where it should be and that would I'd, I'd say that's more down to the outfield the key outfield signings that they've made Mount is not an out and out midfielder and has gone to United in a summer where these up and coming or all these very impressive athletic midfielders have, have, have moved clubs and you, you've looked at the, the profile of the players and the quality of these players and you've wondered why aren't United in for them especially when they're going to need to be in for one next year as well I don't think Amrabat as stepping up for Casemiro next year would would necessarily cut it. I mean, if 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 that's the succession plan, I, th- I find that quite dubious. And with Rasmus Hoyland, he's he's still not got a squad number, which I find bizarre. I mean, if if they, fair enough, fair play if they sell Anthony Martial or get rid of Anthony Martial before the window closes, then he can have the number nine. But that. That would be pretty remarkable, uh, going off United's recent record of, of of outgoings. I mean, Hoyland wasn't in; it didn't look like he was in training in the imagery and the footage that was released on Tuesday. And this was a week that he was supposed to be participating in team training sessions every day. Even if they'd gone the whole hog of trying to get Harry Kane in and had to wait until you know the the very last minute on deadline day to sign him, he would still have been available to start a Manchester United game before Rasmus Hoyland. I think that was that was just the the wrong strategy to take, and they've they've signed for certainly this season they've signed the wrong profile of, of striker and that's not Hoyland's fault I think that it's it's easy for some people to listen to the, the criticism of the way the United have gone about that deal and think that we're all picking on Hoyland but we're not we're picking on United for uh, plump, plumping for that 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 particular option there were much more um, proven options and more suitable options in the transfer window that they didn't strain there because in, in the end Hoyland was probably the most attainable of them but they still overspent on him. They were telling us they wouldn't spend over £60 million. They spent £64 million up front and it's rising to £72 million. That's that's a big burden on a, on a young striker who's got a pretty mediocre at best goal-scoring record in far weaker leagues. And he's coming into a team where there, already there's a hell of a lot of pressure and there's a lot of scrutiny because of the three performances so far this season. And that scrutiny and pressure, the scrutiny is only just going to intensify and, and the pressure is, is going to mount as well, as as, as it always does uh, at Manchester United with every season. So it, it could be by the end of the window that you look at the, the squad signings as being um, you know the, the, the better the better additions and the actual the first the, the outfield first team signings anyway or the intended outfield first team signings with, with an honor that's that's an upgrade in goal I know David De Gea's got his defenders but Anana has, has looked pretty good so far and 
it's certainly you know it's, it's a plus for United that they've got a goalkeeper who can underpin attacks and has a terrific passing range as well that has, has already been admired I think Hyland's a certainty to take the number 17 because Fred's just left hasn't he who wore 17 and he wore that number why have they not announced uh, it it's just weird yeah well, it is still very weird, though. You're right. It is weird. So maybe not 70. Maybe I'll look for it after tomorrow afternoon, but before Sunday's game, which is when we're expecting the announcement. Clip it up. Make us look daft. I'm always keen for that. Anyways, that'll be it for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. In Tyrone, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but I'm going to go ahead of it anyways. Alte Big India from Fenerbahce. Uh, you can help us no out idea. with that. Crikey. I would Altai Bayan India, maybe. Altai Bayan India. I mean, I, I can't no say idea. Samuel's was much better Alti. than mine, but I'll, I'll let the listeners. Just, yeah, Alti was. I'm good, going good. off. I'm yeah. going yeah. off. Two, you've you've got to remember, two guy. Two, two guy was T U G A Y. So I think that's given that he was also Turkish. Mm, fair you've probably enough. Got to fair pronounce enough. the I that fair way. Enough. Yeah, Altai. Anyways, Tyrone, we're, we're, the club are bringing him in. Six foot five goalkeeper um, from Turkey. I mean. He will have a role to play this season, actually. It's probably more important to have a number two this season more than others because Andre Nana has been recalled to the Cameroon squad for the upcoming international break. So he'll be set to he? leave. Oh, has he? There, there has been a twist, didn't he? Because he uploaded on his Instagram story. So more drama there in, involving <laughs> Anana in Cameroon. Yeah, some more twists maybe in store. But anyways, he could be going to the Africa Cup of Nations in January. Um, and Dean Henderson's obviously going the other way. He's had his medical at Crystal Palace. All we need is the announcement for that, the official announcement, but that's all done. Um, it always felt like this somehow was going to be the end of Henderson, wasn't it? Uh, as far as his career at Manchester United was concerned. I mean, he had that brief opportunity uh, under Solskjaer to, to kind of replace David De Gea. He came in when De Gea was on uh, paternity leave when he had his little daughter, but it never really happened for him, did it, at the club? No, it, it didn't really. Um, no, he, he, he had chances. I think he was incredibly unfortunate as well you know we, we've been over it before about the 2021 two season when when he was you know penciled into starters as first choice and, and got COVID and it gave De Gea a second chance and, and De Gea was very good that season so you know there's there's certainly some misfortune there for Henderson it would have been fascinating to see him you know if he'd if he'd not got COVID that year and De Gea had left on loan say it would have been fascinating to see how Henderson would have got on without that pressure of a, of a, a bond fight for, for first choice but no, he's, he's 26 now. He can't have another season of, of being a number two. He's incredibly ambitious, not just in terms of, of first-team level, but of playing for England as well. And he, he had to go and play somewhere. Crystal Palace is a decent move. I think he's he's clearly a cut above Sam Johnston. I think Johnston's a, a, a very good number two for someone like Palace, but I'm not sure over a 38-game Premier League season you'd, you'd trust him particularly. I don't think he was great last time. West Brom got relegated, conceded an awful lot of goals. Um, you know, I think Henderson's a, a level above there. So I think that's a decent signing for them. And, and like you say, it, it had to happen, really. Um, he's Even having a £20 million goalkeeper on the bench, I mean, you, you arguably just don't need it. I can't say I've ever seen um, old Alti play a game, but he's he's played an awful lot for Fenerbahce. He's played for Turkey. I'm sure he's pretty reliable as a, as a second-choice keeper. He will get games this year, even if it's in the Cups. Well, so there's, there's three more international breaks before the African Cup of Nations, so I'm sure there'll be a few more arguments between Onana and Rigobert Song before then and a few more twists in that tail, in the in the tail there. Um, and, and you always need cover. Onana could get injured. He could very easily get sent off the way United defend corners this season. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be calling to action outside his area an awful lot and that always brings a risk for, for a goalkeeper. So... You want a good number two. I think you've got a very good number three with Tom Heaton there as well, depending on who is two and three. Obviously, Heaton injured at the moment, but I thought he looked pretty good in pre-season and, and certainly adapted to to what Ten Hag wanted and what Anana was doing pretty well. So I think I think it's a decent goalkeeping situation and the fact they've made, well, what, they made more than that, 20, maybe 24, 24 million pound profit on keepers this year, maybe if they bring Bayendir in and Kovar and Henderson gone. So... Plus the wages, you say, with with De Gea. So, you know, across the calendar year, they're, they're probably well in advance of £30 million saved, maybe more with, with Henderson's wages, £30, £35 million saved in that department. 
and it it probably looks stronger than it did um, certainly last year when when Henderson was was out on loan. So, you know, I think I think that's one area that they can be pretty happy with their work this summer. Samuel, I feel like Dean Henderson. It's a bit like Marmite. You never love him or you hate him. And I've always quite liked his personality. Anyways, away from the pitch, I know it can be perceived as sometimes arrogant, and his comments definitely do come across like that occasionally. But I do like his confidence. I want my goalkeeper to be that confident. I think it's uh, it's really key and crucial in that position. Um, and I think if circumstances had been different, is it a stupid statement to say he could have been Manchester United's number one for for a decade? But it just felt like, I mean, circumstance was already always against him, really. That's what I felt like. And I try to convey that in a piece, really reflecting on his exit uh, yesterday. I saw that, yeah. Uh, I read it. It was a very, very good piece. I think with Henderson, I mean, to, at the risk of being contrary, I, I, I neither love nor nor hate Marmite. I, I, I don't mind it. but I th- And it's probably the same with, with Dean Henderson as well. I wouldn't say I either love or hate him, but certainly if, if he's on your team you and you're a supporter of, one, of, of the club he's playing for, you are going to love him. And I think as a as a video that was uh, filmed in 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 the copper Ellen Road suggested that there were certainly fan bases out there who it's it's not even hatred for him he he got real dogs abuse one day playing there for Sheffield United uh but it's it's a shame in a way because United had a clear succession plan there that they they did botch there there was there was some misfortune with the bout of covid that he got going into the season but a stronger manager would have still said when he was fit again that he's coming in, he's my number one, I told him that that's the plan, that's the long-term thinking, that's what we want to do. But you were never going to get that with, with Solskjaer and Dean Henderson wasn't the only player that, that Solskjaer irritated with his, his his mismanagement of them. And really, when it came to this summer, I suppose the, the irony is that the, the year that De Gea actually leaves United. That's when when Henson goes as well, and it's you know, it's, it's strange symmetry because they the, the pair of them joined joined the club in the same year as well. When when Henderson was fourteen, he joined the academy in twenty eleven. That was the year, of course, that De Gea signed for United from Atletico Madrid, and just by coincidence, they're also leaving the club in the same year as well. Um, that the season that he had, I think he played what twenty six games in in twenty in in the twenty 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 one season, and he was he was very briefly the, the the number one Premier League goalkeeper. This this was how indecisive Solskjaer was over the whole thing, and I think towards the running of the end of that season, Solskjaer actually adjusted the pattern of rotation with the two goalkeepers so that Henderson were playing. Then when it was Europa League final. It was David De Gea coming in, and I think Henderson, his his parents, his relatives didn't even bother going out to the final in Gdansk because they they knew he wasn't going to play. He he felt he should have been playing, and certainly that night with with the way the penalty shootout went, it did seem like it was probably you know, a good time to call call time on De Gea's United career, but it didn't work out that way. Um, I mean Henderson's running the team. It wasn't. Uh, it, it, it wasn't free of, of of mistakes. There there were some some pretty glaring errors, but I think sometimes you can just put that down to over eagerness. And and there were certain aspects of his game that he was trying to prove a point. Whether it was, I mean, he came off his line a ridiculous distance and got beaten by Chris Wood for a Burnley goal that was disallowed. But what a player! What, what he was what thinking a player in his Chris head. Wood is. I know, I know. What he was thinking in his mind was that. De Gea doesn't come off his line. I need to come off my line and show I'm a really proactive goalkeeper. And sometimes it was better it was better for him to keep his powder dry. And then on the one time he didn't come off his line when Mohamed Salah was bearing down on him, uh, it just left a massive gap for Salah to hit that trademark side-footed finish into the corner. But I think a few months before that same end FA Cup game, Salah dinked Henderson. So you could see there was an... Uh, there was an element of inexperience about him, even though he'd already had a lot of experience as a keeper. He was he was gaining experience and learning on the job as a as a Man United goalie, and it's a rite of passage for every United keeper that they they do make mistakes. Schmeichel did, De Gea did, everyone in between Schmeichel and, and Van der Sar and Van der Sar didn't have uh, an unblemished start as well. Uh, he was part of that that horror show up at Middlesbrough in in two thousand and five, which eventually led to, to Roy Keane's untimely uh, sacking about a month later. 
but in the end, they, they, they'd kicked the can long enough down the road and they had to sell him at one point or another. And I suppose it's, although United will trumpet it as a, as a success for net spend, and I think Ty's done the communication department's job for them with uh, how, how much they'll be saving this year on goalkeepers, but they could have sold him for a larger fee um, at, some, you know, at some point down the line in the past. And it sounds like it's going to be 20 million plus add-ons, but there was certainly a time where he was, at the very minimum, a £40 million pound keeper. Henderson's positioning for that, um, or Salagol, talked about Samuel that kind of reminds me of myself when I it's my turn to go in goal at five aside because I realised the other night I'm terrible when I have to go in I've got like uh, Chris Packard hands I think most, just most are Ty- Tyrone isn't Tyrone isn't that's what I was coming on but Tyrone Marshall I've heard I mean I'm yet to see you Ty in person in goal I've saw you play outfield but I've not saw you play in goal so maybe it's a myth maybe it's a maybe it's a lie anyways um, in terms of more exits Ty uh, Ted and Menji's obviously going to Luton uh, ahead of deadline day. Charlie McNeil going to Stevenage on loan. Um, we've had quite a few departures actually this summer, um, which was, was good to see, especially at the start of the window. And, and Ten Hag's been very ruthless with younger players. We've saw a few moved on. Uh, Zidanek Bal, uh, Charlie Savage, of course, and Emiran, who's just went uh, to Holland as well. Um, is it a case of there should have been more exits even even still? I'm thinking of the first team players really. Eric Bailly, he's still on the books, isn't he? I know Alex Tellers left. He was a, a candidate to go. And Brandon Williams, he's on loan at Ipswich, but he's still not left permanently, has he? And it kind of feels it could have been a case of more could have been done, more money could have been raised if, if players had been sold. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing a, a loan offer for Amrabat as well. I mean, United said at the start of the window they were looking at 100, 120 million net spend. If the, the deal for the two keepers get completed, then it'll pretty much be exactly 120 million pound net spend. So the, the reality is they haven't got the budget to sign Amrabat when they probably thought they, they would have on a permanent deal. There, there hasn't been enough departures. With Henderson going, it'll take it to about 60 million. Um, Four four of the other big six clubs have made more than that through sales this season when they didn't need to. Um, only Liverpool have made less, and that's very marginal with the money from Saudi Arabia for Fabinho and Henderson. I mean, one more Liverpool sale could, could tip it over. So, you know, United were in a position this year where they needed to raise maybe £100 million from sales. It's going to be 60. It's going to be less than Tottenham, less than Chelsea, less than Arsenal, less than Man City. In an era of pretty strict FFP rules when United are so worried about it it's it's not enough really there, there should be more they've kept McTominay and Maguire when they, they probably expected to sell at least one somehow Eric Bailly's still here on the 31st of August Van der Beek looks like being alone so I think in terms of first team players there's there's not been enough outgoings which is why we're back to, to loans again and the whole you know it's another podcast issue maybe for next week but the use of the loan market as well I mean Name me another elite club that's signing five first-team players on loan in, in two windows. I mean, it's, it's football league stuff, really, um, signing that many players on loan. I know some of it has been forced on United, but it's you know, you're know you not seeing City sign five players on loan in, in two windows or, or Liverpool or anything like that. So I think that's that's something that's that's got to be looked at. And like I say, a lot of the sales have been youngsters. I think we're seeing a very clear pattern now with young players and, and Ten Hag that... When they get to around about twenty, they'll they'll get their chance in pre-season. If they're not good enough, they will they will be sold. We we got a hint of that with James Garner last year, and I think we've seen it more this year as well. That the players of that age who get an opportunity aren't quite good enough, uh, are quickly sold and, and cashed in on. And I think that's becoming a pattern, and we're probably going to see see more of it. I know there's been some loan interest in Hannibal, um, but I hope he stays. Actually, I think he can contribute this season off the bench and you look at we just talked about Van der Beek there but I'd rather have Hannibal coming on than, than Donny Van der Beek uh, at this stage of, the, of their careers anyways Samuel's giggling there in the corner <laughs> we'll leave that there for part two we'll be back in a moment for part three uh, Samuel just for the start of part three I wanted to give you the both uh, the opportunity to to kind of assess the transfer window. I mean, I know we've just dissected it there really oh. over half an hour, but if you had to be really brief, Samuel, and really quick because you're you're growing in there, but your hands over your over your knees, what would you make of this this window, this summer window? 
Have I, have I just ge- answered gem- that? I think. A general assessment, Samuel. <laughs> Sound like Ten Hag there in a press conference. I, I've answered yeah, that I, question already. I, yeah, it, 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 it was, I wasn't to it? Your yeah. colleague. I'm, so, yeah. I'm starting to, I'm starting to empathise with, with, with Eric now. <laughs> uh, even I'm getting to the end of my tether at the end of the transfer window. I would, if, if you want a rating on it, I'd, I'd probably give it. I mean, they've, they've still not done all their business, so it's, it's still. Let, let's see Amrabat and Cucurella saying that's that's the way I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I mean I know I've got think, a bad feeling more of those might again fall. I think I, as I told you earlier I think I've already answered this but uh, I'd, I'd say short short with the first team with strengthening the first team because not got an out and out midfielder in not got a striker who's a proven goal scorer the, the squad depth might be might be alright but God knows what they're doing in training because the, the players are, are dropping like flies so it, it might not be as, as the squad depth might not be as strong as that anyway because they've got quite a lot of injuries to contend with already. We've got Arsenal to come, uh, the preview, but I mean, I need this podcast to be longer because we need every bit of ad revenue we can get to pay my wages. Uh, so Tyrone, uh, what grade would you uh, give the transfer window if I had to put a gun to your head because that's what it seems like at the moment? <laughs> um, if I mean, if they sign Cucurella and Amrabat, there's still a lot of ifs, ifs and buts six and a half seven maybe you know it's it, it's it's gonna it's even if you ask me at 11.05 p.m tomorrow night it's gonna be hard to judge because we've not seen Hoyland kick a ball yet we've seen Mason Mount play two games they've been underwhelming but I think you know there's you, you could if you wanted to you could make a case for why they've been underwhelming like Samuel says he's he's not played central midfield on a regular basis that often recently he's coming from um it, I think there's a lot of similarities, similarities actually to, to push it to Arsenal with Kai Havertz in terms of coming for a club where their the confidence their their own confidence was shot last year and having to settle into a, a new regular position. And I think Havertz has underwhelmed a bit at Arsenal as well. So I think there's probably similarities there. Um, like we say, Cucurella and Amlabat have still got to to happen to to that to happen, and there's probably not been enough sales. But on on paper, you'd say six and a half, seven. Um, potential for it to improve if Mount does find form and Hoyland hits the ground running. But if you ask me in January and Hoyland scored twice and Mount's still not playing very well, it's probably a four. So hard to say at the moment, Stephen. Hope that hope that you, fills a couple you're, of minutes for you and another fiver in your pocket. It's because your corporate your corporation is why you're me uh, my favourite Tyrone. Thank you very much for that answer. <laughs> the, the other thing about the two in, the two outfield incomings is that Mount played thirteen times for Chelsea this year because. He had an injury and he required surgery. He's gone to United. He's already injured. Hoyland, United decided to sign despite this stress, stress fracture of the back. And they said he was out for a few weeks. That was already nearly four weeks ago, I think. And United, we've discovered, I think, in the first weeks of the season, that United's definition of weeks or a few weeks is very different to everyone else's definition but if you just if you look at the two columns now we're on 31st of august the window closes in just over what 30 hours time or whatever um you look at united's rivals hoyland mount anana johnny evans out elanga fred koval tellez iqbal williams jones tunzibi de gea I, I think that's pretty poor by and large, in terms of the personnel they've got rid of, in terms of the incomings, I think that 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 is falling short of where they need to be at if they have aspirations to be a, a better to have a better season than last season, which has to be the minimum objective. And this, See, I thought and they made a really good start. Spending, they did, yeah. A, a month ago, I thought they looked well prepared. They had their key signings on board. Um, the unfortunately for them, the momentum shift came with the announcement of the Hoyland signing. It was we're delighted to announce Rasmus Hoyland, but he's got an injury and he's not playing for a few weeks and it's been more than a few, it's been more than a few weeks no matter what united say and um, things have not improved too much in terms of in terms of recruitment and and as far as the performances go there's not been a single convincing performance i think our editor said like in terms of engagement on the website and what what fans want to read about there's not been a big uplift from the the Forest game because th- they looked at that win and thought United weren't convincing enough so there's not a lot to um 
weirdly there's not a lot to to sing about even though from you look at it the face of it it doesn't look too bad but I think there are things bubbling under the surface which um, should make United fans feel uneasy and some United fans do feel uneasy about it speaking to them it's been a bit of a mess this end of the window and it might be my fault to be fair <clears throat> because of after that impressive start where like you say Samuel they signed the main targets and they seem to be clearing the deadwood which they usually struggle with uh, I wrote a piece with the headline Manchester United are acting like a serious club again um, and they've made me look a bit stupid towards the end of the transfer window I think so maybe lesson learned there right Arsenal chat as Samuel would be delighted to, to talk about uh, Tyrone Sunday the Emirates big game we've talked about their away form a lot on this podcast um, they obviously were defeated at Tottenham that was a really poor performance and as Samuel said beat Nottingham Forest yes but again very unconvincing and I feel like they've just been getting away with it obviously against those poorer sides and that's just not going to cut it this weekend Arsenal are a proper team with title aspirations they've just signed Declan Rice um, I mean I think it's fair to say they dominated United at the Emirates last season I know the scoreline was 3-2 uh, but that was it was very flattering, wasn't it? Um, so what, what are your expectations for the game? Um, I, I mean, I'd say Arsenal haven't played like a proper team this season. I think they've been they've been pretty average as well. I think you know they they've been little better than than United. Um, they've their, their wins have been scrappy against pretty average teams. They've drawn at home with Fulham. The whole Thomas party right back to midfield, moving the defence around just isn't working. Saka's easy to mark because there's no right back offering him any support now. Um, you know, I think what Arteta's done has made them a worse team rather than a better team. Perhaps they'll fix it this weekend and have Zinchenko back in the side at left back and, and a bit more of what we saw last season with Zinchenko moving in rather than party and, and play a proper right back. But I've not I've not seen anything to fear Arsenal at the moment. Um, United certainly have to improve, and like we say, that away record is is disastrous. The Tottenham game felt like a good opportunity to, to to kind of get that out of your system straight away. And the way they played for half an hour, you thought it would be, but they, they kind of collapsed mentally and, and physically there. You certainly need to see more from United. They have been they have been too open this season. The you know the, the balance to that is that in the, the what are we in three games? The three games they've played so far this season, they've they've created more than they did in in any three game run last season. I would I would suggest. Um, they're not taking their chances because we've talked about this for a year now. We know why they're not taking the chances because they haven't got a consistent striker and, and Rashford's not been firing yet and they relied on the midfield to get the goals against Forest. But the, the chances are there for them. They're, they're creating the Tottenham game. They created more chances than they did in most big six away games last year. Um, and I think as open as they've looked, it's, it's, it's probably one where they've looked open because they are more attacking in... I think Arsenal is going to be... It's it's a fairly obvious thing to say that Arsenal decides the mood going into the international break in the start. And if they look open and they lose um, and they're poor away from home again, then it's obviously going to be very negative. But I also think it's plausible that they go there, they play like they did in the first half an hour at Tottenham, they create chances and they take some and score two or three goals and, and win the game because they have looked better going forward this year. Um, you know, look better going forward, look worse defensively. It's clearly a balance to be found that's probably not quite there at the moment. The, the setup from corners, like I've said, is asking for trouble. Um, I'm still not convinced about Casemiro in this midfield setup in terms of pushing him so far up the pitch. He's, he's leaving him exposed. He doesn't look like he's up to speed yet. I'm sure he'll get there, but, you know, it's it's no secret he enjoys his summers. I mean, Casemiro's joked about it with, with Brazilian press as it is that he like, you know, he said after one game last season that he likes his food and likes to eat. So, I think it's you know it's I don't think it's any secret he goes back to Brazil and enjoys a few barbecues. Um, so he's he, he was he started last season very sluggishly when he made his first start in that Real Sociedad game. I think we were all raising eyebrows in in the press box and the name the name doing the rounds that night was Bastian Schweinsteiger and obviously Casemiro proved to be much better than that when he got up to speed. But you do wonder if it takes him a while to to get up to speed and you know I'm sure we can all vouch maybe you less so Stephen but. Sure, me Samuel can vouch that when you get into your thirties, it gets you know it gets harder to. to Don't to put shake me anywhere near that bracket. It does excessive it does. summers. Uh, so you know, I'm sure Casemiro will get there, but he's looked sluggish so far. I think. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a difficult game to call. I, I think there was 
a lot of negativity last week, rightly so, because again, it wasn't a convincing performance. But you know, they, they, the the balance to that is that they have looked better going forward. And if they took some of their chances at Arsenal, and Arsenal played badly again, we're going to the international break where United are, are buoyant having won away at Arsenal, and Arsenal are thinking, what what's gone wrong here after a big summer of spending? So it's it's a big game, I think, for for setting the mood for both clubs. It's a very good point you make about that Thomas Party experiment because clearly not worked. And like you, I kind of expect Arteta to revert uh, back to the system that worked so well last season. And I could kind of just see Arsenal clicking back into place and, and picking up where they left off, which wouldn't be good news for United anyways on Sunday afternoon. Uh, any changes then, Samuel, for the game personnel-wise in Nottingham Forest? And I was going to ask you, is Marcus Rashford's uh, slow start of the season a bit of a concern yet? I know only three games in, but um, he's not looked nowhere near at his best, has he? I mean, you can explain that by him playing down the middle where he's been very isolated in games. Obviously, he's back to the left against Nottingham Forest. So uh, is that the, the secret really to coaxing him back to form and, and back to get amongst the goals? It's not even a secret. I mean, everyone knew, anyone with a brain knew six or seven years ago that he was a left winger and not a striker. Hashtag sack and, the host. Well, I, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. In fact, I'll, I'll be asking I, you about his contract Steven next. In. I'll be asking about it. <laughs> yeah. <isn't> good? <laughs> not, for, not for another five years, fortunately. Uh, but he he did well for the three goals last week. I mean, he did. I think one of the elements of his game that he improved on last season was that he was more receptive to going on the outside, and he wasn't as predictable with his wing play and his his movement was more fluid. He, he did score goals uh, last season by by changing position, moving into a strikes position, but that was in-game. It wasn't... You're not going into a game thinking, I'm the number nine, I've got two centre-backs to, um, uh, to to keep busy and you've, you've got to modify the way you play. I think he, the way he was able to switch from the wing to centre-forward in some of those games, it was more natural. And, and that's why I thought at Tottenham they should have gone with Sancho and Rashford because those two would have been able to switch. But as... as excellent a coach as Ten Hag is you don't really see United players doing that too often at all and I'd, I'd have thought that would have been a, a not necessarily a, a difficult sorry not necessarily an easy thing to do but also not a difficult one and with Rashford as I said he, he did do well for the three goals last week the the, the pass for Fernandez's second goal that was that was a new spring uh, string to his bow don't think anybody's really seen him showcase that kind of vision the penalty was a penalty, despite you know people quibbling about it. it, it there was there was contact there. You you only had to look at Danilo's reaction to know that he'd uh, he got sucked in and, and and made an error there. I, I, strangely enough, I, I can see United, despite their performances coming into this game, I can see them giving Arsenal a better game than they did last season. I think although it's not an ideal midfield to go into the game with, where you've got two thirty-one-year-olds, neither of them are true athletes I think it's safe to say but they have got a good understanding there is a better balance with Casemiro and Ericsson there I'd be staggered if if Ericsson is is dropped when he he did improve United last week there was uh, a prudence about his play that you often get he is more comfortable now operating from a deeper role when he played as the number 10 last season it was in two high profile games against City and, and he just barely got a kick it was two of his worst performances so I certainly wouldn't be advising that if Ten Hag had a full squad he might have looked at this game as one to take Anthony out of it and put Fernandes on the right maybe mount as the number 10 and and, and mix, mix things up a little bit but he doesn't he do, doesn't have that at his, uh, his disposal on this occasion so in terms of changes as such it would just. I'd probably go with the the, the one um, selection change of of Marshall coming out and Sancho coming in. Of course, Lindelof has to come in for Varane because he's injured. I don't think this is a game that Anthony Marshall should ever be starting. I mean, Arsenal are going to be intense. They're they're going to want a, a, an increase in performance level after, as, as Ty said, three pretty unconvincing games so far the two wins were quite narrow they threw it away against Fulham who who got a point with with 10 men coming back from 2-1 down and it does it, it feels like Ten Hag sorry uh, Arteta is almost running before he can walk he's trying to get up to Guardiola's level when he's still managing a club that have not won the league in nearly 20 years and in that time it's what four or five FA Cups they've won as well Arsenal are a serious side again and 
they made a very good go of it in terms of trying to win the title last season. But I can't quite see what what he's trying to do with their defence. It, it hasn't worked. And it's almost as if he's trying to accommodate all the pieces, but you've just got to play the players in the best positions. Thomas Partey is not a defender. He is a very good midfielder. I know there was levelling off there last season and Rice is, is a better midfielder. He's, he's younger and more athletic at this time. But he's got Havertz in there as well and it's almost as if there are too many cooks um, that, that he's got going forward. But he's still trying to accommodate all of them because he, he's of the mindset, well, Pep Guardiola would do that. But there's a reason why Guardiola is such a unique coach and is, is you know stands out on his own uh, because he's the best coach in the world and, and Arteta isn't at that level yet. So you certainly can see Zinchenko coming in. But the way United have to approach it, I think, is that although they've got all these issues and they probably won't have a, a, a well, they won't have a striker even if it is Marshall starting up front. They won't have a striker. Their best defender will be out. Their new midfield signing won't be there. Uh, the the new striker signing probably won't be starting. Uh, might not even be on the bench the way it's going. But they have still got players who can harm Arsenal. Rashford can. Fernandez can. Anthony is erratic, but but he can. There was a mild improvement from his uh, f- from him last week. Sancho. I think he's, he's what momentum he was building up in pre-season. I think it's safe to say that has been killed by the fact he's not started in any of these three games. But maybe on his day he can he, he can produce and, and and have a good performance. Arsenal were certainly the favourites, but I, I don't know. I've just got a strange feeling that maybe United will actually surprise people in terms of how they play but not necessarily get the result that um, that is going to surprise people. I mean, if they got a win, it would be pretty pretty staggering. I think Anthony just enjoys playing Nottingham Forest, really. I remember uh, at the City ground last season, it was probably one of his best games, if I, if yeah, I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I was just checking the kickoff times as you were talking, Samuel. Obviously, United are the, the 4.30 kickoff on, on Sunday afternoon, and Crystal Palace Wolves before that has been chosen for, for TV selection on Sky Sports over Liverpool Aston Villa. It's a bizarre choice by Sky, isn't it? Yeah, um, that's because so, Villa are playing in Europe, so right, isn't it? Playing hits. Ah, okay. yeah, it's, that makes sense. Palace that Wolves makes sense. feels like it's uh, we need to show every team ten times. Let's get <laughs> two, two out the way, one there. That is a. I was going to say we'll boycott Sky, but we'll let them off. We'll boycott ahead of uh, something exceptional. That isn't it. It's not doing the job for me, Palace Wolves. Can we boycott Arsenal's uh, media team for only allowing one press pass? Is it still like that this season? No, 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 no. It's changed. Oh, it's is it too? This season. Oh, okay, yeah. well, Richard, there you go. I can't boycott Richard anyone. Richard Fay has got the has got the green light. So has it? Yeah, happy it was days. Still pending this morning when I looked. I know. I, I I've literally have been checking during this uh, just so that the, no, the tickets can can get booked. Maybe it was just exclusive to Tyrone. Just didn't want Maybe didn't want Tyler. Didn't want me. Yeah, persona non grata. Right, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Tyrone, as ever. Thank you very much, Justine. And thank you to the listeners. Hopefully, there is a few more arrivals um, by the time you're listening to this podcast, perhaps on Friday afternoon or evening. And have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the game on Sunday afternoon. Uh, check across the all the audio platforms: Spotify, Apple, etc. And we're ticking across nicely on YouTube with the subscribers. So thanks for listening. Take care.